Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is um, 1-9-2022, and we're continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. Hi, thought of the week. More righteous conclusion. Some have professed their trust in Christ for his death on the behalf of continue to faith in terms of their own or their spiritual standards of righteousness. This caused problems and creates false conclusions about salvation. For instance, some believe that once you are saved by grace, you must maintain some standards of righteousness, or else you may be lost. They maintain this even so the scriptures are clearly it's clear that salvation is a free gift given in grace and not of work. Ephesians chapter 289, more modern ideas have advanced the idea that the person who cannot seem to behave according to their standards, well, they say they were never properly saved in the first place. Either way, this person is being judged based on the righteousness they produce after salvation for their salvation. Again, this is the direct opposite of what the scriptures say about salvation. The root of this problem is the refusal to accept the bad news. Based this on intruding on God's perfect salvation with their imperfect works. God's word says we receive righteousness by grace, and it is through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, not through our erratic attempts at righteousness after salvation. Then once we receive this perfect righteousness by faith, God justifies us forever. This justification is not conditional or based on our good works, it is by grace and really bestowed on those who have fallen, who have faith in Christ Jesus. To ignore this is to manufacture your own status of righteousness and then assume God will accept it. However, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, either are your ways, my ways, declares the, the Lord. Be too well to take God's assessment of our conditions and his perfect solution since we are the ones lost in Adam. So please say to that, a lot of people don't know the fact that we lost Adam. And they don't know really the bad news. It is through the gospel and someone teaches them properly, they will understand that it's not based upon your own individual standards. It's based upon how God sees man and their lost condition. Their lost condition is because we all possess a sin nature at the time we're born that is by God's grace that we can be saved by believing and trusting in his only begotten son because we, through the scripture says that Christ produced all the good works. And not for all, only, but for the entire human 
to the entire human world. So it's by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's God's gift, not by works. So we must believe that Christ did the work and therefore we can be saved. A lot of a lot of churches, a lot of preachers thinking that you must have, you must hold on to your standards and you must produce good work. You must act a certain kind of way. If not, you can lose this. And the scriptures don't say that, it's just that religious sense. So take it from God's perspective that we are saved freely by his grace and it does not it does not depend upon work. And to believe in Christ, to have salvation, and nothing we can do, we can lose it. God is not a God of confusion. So by believing in Christ, we can have eternal salvation. And believing in God, we shall not see salvation. And the wrath of God will remain on us, or whoever don't believe in Christ. So at this particular point, we have to have the wife give us a worthy prayer. So we must continue. Thank you very much, David. Yeah, thank you very much, David. Thank you for that uh, commentary as well. Um, what a what a test what a powerful testimony it is to the contrast between the good news and the bad news. Um, and I I saw that in the in the photo of the week there was a reference to justification as not conditional or based on our good works. Well, according to the bad news, there are no good works, not even one. So yes, we are entirely dependent on Christ. And so at this time, I'd like to pray for us and um, all the people on our hearts. Are there any particular requests before I continue? Just pray for the Myers family. Definitely. Anyone else? Okay, let's let's take our cares and concerns before God then. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this fantastic opportunity that we have to delve into the details of your plan, of your mystery, the things that were on Paul's heart to make plain to everyone. Uh, we are the recipients of this at this time, and uh, we don't uh, say this to highlight us out of the world, we say that we are better. Um, certainly we are humble, and, and that is how we can cooperate with the spirit of truth. Um, but this is information that is um, hugely available, but the, uh, the adversary of this world is extremely um, powerful. And uh, we pray for boldness and courageousness. Um, to contend for the faith in the midst of this twisted and crooked generation. Um, I want to pray for the people on this call, all, all of Word is Truth Christian Church, um, that our the eyes of our hearts might be opened so that we may see the inheritance that we have, uh, that we share in Christ. I pray for um, all of our immediate and extended families, the Myers family, the Presley family, uh, the Hurek family and um, this need family, et cetera, and, and more so. Uh, anybody who is on our heart for any reason, whether it be uh, physical or financial or emotional struggle, 
suffering as Christ struggles. Um, and let us remember what you have planned for us and that this is not the end. Um, we are on a battlefield and the next phase of your plan is, is glory um, as we join you and um, in our spirits in heaven. And um, I also pray for the world that, that uh, you know, those with, you know, people that we don't know or people that we encounter would have the opportunity and open themselves up, to veil themselves to hearing the truth and understanding that this information is reliable, especially when headlines and news stories are, are opposing each other and making no sense. Um, the one thing that does make sense is your word to us is consistent without wiggle room and um, gives us strength and boldness to carry on. I pray for um, our opportunity now to hear in detail what we have to look into in John 17 as Jesus prays intimately with you, Father, not only for his glory and your glory, but also on our behalf. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Dwight and Dave, for for that. We appreciate that. And amen to everything you said. So we are continuing where we left off. And um, last week, we're in John chapter 17 and verse 5. Uh, it reads like this. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. In your notes, you have, if it is the Father's aim to bring many sons into glory, and it is his will that they be conformed to the image of his Son, then the first step would be to have a glorified Christ. We find in this profound verse a glimpse of a period before time began. There is no way anyone could know about this time period since creation had not begun, and the first human being was not created. By the spirit of truth and faith, we can learn about this exclusive time period and understand what the Father, Son, and Spirit were doing as the eternal purpose was planned. Of the few places in the Word of God where this period is spoken of, we need to learn or lean forward and pay close attention to what is revealed to us and for us. So when I think about this, as we have already covered some of these verses, and I'll get to where we left off, I can think about my grandchildren. And uh, as you know, I have some grandchildren. I have four of them. And uh, one time when I was talking with their mother, so she had one of the grandchildren in her lap. And I just remember this. I was talking, we were trying to have a conversation. And as kids are, they want attention. And uh, she was trying to get the attention of mom. So what was interesting was uh, through the conversation, Karim would say, yes, 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 whatever. You know, trying to assuage the child to say, look, I'm talking, you know, I'll get to you in a minute. So the child took matters into her own hands. 
grabbed the jaw of Corinne and turned it to her. I thought, wow, <laughs> what a way of saying, I want your attention. And I'm going to grab your face and turn it toward me because I know you're not paying attention to me. And I think about that when I read John chapter 17. If your jaw is not turned to this chapter, if you don't have your attention focused on this chapter, then God needs to grab your face and turn it toward this chapter. I can't do it. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can do it as you are ready to receive it. But there is a lot here that uh, God is telling us. And we're just gonna go through it. Obviously, we'll, we will not cover everything that is mentioned. And we're talking about things that are before time began. That's pretty deep for us to not only uh, comprehend, but to master. And that's what we want to do. We, we don't just want to have heard about this information. We want to master it. We want to be the owners of it so that we can now make our own metaphors and analogies around it and communicate it. Just as we talked earlier about how, uh, how would God communicate this fantastic uh, manifold plan to, to the church. How would he do it? Well, God, the Holy Spirit's involved in that. And he found a, a means of communication through the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's how it is presented to us. So how can we take this information? Because it is upon us to do, to take this information to the world. This information is not, hey, by the way, Jesus is the Lord, right? That, the world knew that before Jesus came. They knew that he was the savior of the world. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But this information was hidden. And now it focuses on this time period before creation, before time began, before the world began for the universe was created so that it is information that pertains to what God has planned for us. So we're getting into it. Um, I know we, where we left off. We're gonna to try to pick up to where we left off, but I'm gonna get down to give us some review in point number two. And this is point number two D. Christ is making a request of the Father and he's saying, glorify me. We need to understand the implications of this request in more detail. So I've listed <clears throat> seven points here. I'm not going to cover them in detail. I just want to read them. And I know where we left off is at point E. We'll get there. So just in review, glory, point one, glory speaks of accomplishment and therefore entitlement. So when we, th we think about when Christ is saying glorify me, it's not because he just happens to be. He did something. It's accomplished. He finished the work the Father wanted him to do. And therefore, he is entitled to this glory. He earned it. 
and I gave Philippians 2, 8 through 11. Point two, we cannot fully know all the entitlement due Christ for his completing the Father's will, but we can review the record. And we know it is glorious. Uh, it's going to change everything. Uh, there's another verse I could have put in here. It's in Romans 8. It says that the whole creation is groaning with pain, in pains of childbirth, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Wow, what a change that's going to make in the world when the plan of God has reached its fullness. And, and also what we see is where uh, Christ is fully glorified where the church is, is also the fullness of him and glorified in him as well. So what can we know about the glory of Christ? We haven't seen it. We can talk about Christ being glorified, but I can tell you we, we can only talk about it. We can only know about it, but we can't experience it. We don't know what it's really like in all of its glory. We, we just don't until it happens. Point number three. Obviously, whatever glory is right and proper for Christ is also due to us who are in Christ. This is the way God decided that he would glorify us. And we looked at many of the scriptures that talk about us receiving glory. I covered those. Uh, one is where it talks about those he foreknew, he also predestined, and those he predestined, he also uh, justify those he justified i'm skipping through some of this and those he justified he also glorified those those relate to us we receive glory i mean just stop and think about it because when we when we think about the glory of christ and all that that means as far as we can know as we said we can't fully know it and Christ says, the glory, I, and this is John 17, he says, the glory you have given me, I have given it to them. That they may be one as we are one. All that's in John 17. Wow. We got a lot more that we're going to talk about. Uh, point number four, glorify me. This is coming from the person of Christ who accomplished the work. It is obvious to me that the humanity of Christ is now glorified. So when we, if we were to peek in on Christ right now, we would see the glorified Christ. He is, this is something that we're not waiting for. Now, obviously, the world hasn't seen him. He has not been presented to the world because he is, it's not, he's not finished, right? The, the father is still calling out those many sons in the glory. And those many sons are part of who Christ is. And those many sons are part of the glory that Christ is and shares. So that's what we should know about uh, what this Christ is saying, glorify me. He, he's glorified. He's waiting until the father completes calling out those many sons also in the glory. Point number five. The person of Christ who walked on this earth is not was not glorified yet. So just to note, when people think about Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus, yes, he's a man. And 
people can clearly identify with the, the man that was here. He walked around on the streets. He, he was hungry. He, he was tired. He needed to rest. He slept. All the same things that we do, he did. He was, he was a, truly a man. And we're not talking about, uh, you know, if you've ever seen, this is old, and I can't even remember all the details of this crazy movie, but it was called uh, Body Snatchers, something like that, where these aliens came to Earth and they planted these like pods and and in the pods, it would sort of grow like this person. And uh, eventually, these aliens would take these pods and they would take possession of the person. The person would be X'd out, whatever they did to the person. They would kill him, I guess. <laughs> it's crude. And then they would take the person's place. So when you look at the person, he looks just like a regular human being, just like the other person did. And that's how these aliens were trying to take over the earth. This is a Bible study. Just, just sit tight. And that's how they were doing it, taking over the earth by impersonating the humans. So the humans couldn't tell that they were. Now, there was something on them that would, would, would tip it off. But they really couldn't tell by looking at the persons that they were, because they looked human. But really, they were aliens inside. You know, that's not what Christ was. Christ was not just some alien that occupied a human body. He was not some person because he preexisted, but he preexisted as a human being. No, no, not as a human being. I'm sorry. He existed as God, but the person that occupied the nature of God is the same person that took the humanity of Christ. So now we say that he is one person and he has two natures. He has the nature of God, which he could not lose. He never could divest himself of being God. And he has taken on the human nature. But the person that is in that human nature is truly human. He's not an alien like that movie, crazy movie. He's literally just like us. Because we are made in their image and in their likeness. Except for the fact that we have a human nature. They have divine nature. So we're seeing that work out in the incarnation. But when we think about what, what is the incarnation? Is it only so that Christ could come pay for the sins of the world? No, it's far more important than that. This thing isn't about sin. I mean, if it were about sin, then that would God didn't have to let people fall. It's not about just letting people fall so that there could be a savior. Uh, I mean, people did fall, so there needed to be a savior, no doubt about it. But that's not what the plan is about. The eternal purpose is not about sin. It's not about the fall. Those are component parts that get us to the place where God can call out those many sons into glory. So the, the person of Christ who walked the earth, he looked just like a regular human being because he was a regular human being. He was 100% true humanity. 
So we went over two verses uh, in 6 and 7. What are the properties of the glorified humanity of Christ? And we went to 1 Corinthians 15, 47 through 49. There we learned that there were two men. There's Adam and there's Christ. Same thing you get in Romans chapter 5. If you'd like to review Romans 5, we won't do it now. But you know how in one, through one man we all fell. But through at the second or last Adam, God brought a different reality in our view. And that's why salvation is in Christ. That's why this new relationship we have in Christ. If any man is in Christ, he is a new spiritual creation. But this person, Christ, who was slain from the foundation of the world, also paid for the sins of the world. Anybody in the entire world, whatever dispensation you live in, can have salvation because of him as well. So then it learned, we learned that we are not of the first Adam. We are of the last Adam, who is the man from heaven, the Lord of glory. That's who we are from. And then point seven, glory for Christ speaks of a plan completed. It is our Lord's praying for what he knows will follow the completed work. It further, it's, it is further testimony to the motivation of each member of the Trinity to this glorious end. So just know, when we think about glory, and we're, we're going to cover more of this later, but what we're saying is, obviously, the glory part of the plan is where they saw what it is they wanted. Even to the point where the Father specifically chose certain ones for this glory. We can't look at it any other way. Uh, we could read Ephesians chapter 1, 3, and 4. And it tells us how we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And in Colossians 1, it says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge reside in Christ. And this is where he says, and you, in Ephesians 1, 4, he says, and you were chosen in him before the creation of the world. You were chosen in him. When it says we're predestined, when it says we're foreknown, when it says we're elected, all of that was before the world or the universe began. So we're putting perspective on this plan, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they always have been working on it. They just didn't reveal it until now. What did they reveal? What they could. What they could, they revealed. But when it came to this, it was hid in God. So now, we're at point E. We're moving forward. Hopefully that review wasn't too painful. So, in your presence. Now, this is the dative and accusative of the same with con contractions, respectively. So, essentially what this is, when, when we read glorify me in your presence. That word, in your presence, or that's translated in your presence, is, is this word here. And it means thyself, or with thine own self. Okay, so when you look at that, 
why do I make that some significance of some significance is because um, we need to know that the glory that the Father has is the same glory that the Son has. It's not a different glory. And I know I didn't spell it out for you here, but I know I put this as a marker for me to say this. That when, when it says, in, as NIV translates, in your presence, or you would have other translations which says, with your, your own self, with, your, with thine own self, or with yourself. That is to say, it is the same glory that the Father has that the Son has. I think that's an important point to note. And I hope you make sure you put a pin in it. Because it's not some glory that the Father has that is different from the glory that the Son has is different from the glory that we have. And we're talking about the same glory and we're going to see it respectively throughout the chapter. And I just want you to make sure you you relate all of it as the same. Point number three, here's where we haven't been. Uh, with the glory, and here's the next phrase, with the glory I had with you. Uh, let's see, as we carry forward, the, this is point A, as we carry fo forward the thought of glory based on achievement, we add more dynamics now by setting the, the setting of before the world began. And that's truly what we want to focus on now. This is where uh, we're saying that this glory is an achievement glory. It's also, it's an achievement for the father because he's the one who planned it. It's achievement for the son because he's the one who executed it. So those are the two in the Trinity that receive glory. Now the Holy Spirit does not take any glory to himself at all. All, his, all he wants to do is to lift up the father and the son. And if you read, I will just direct you to, uh, read, take, take a look at every one of Paul's letters. Here's a good example. And others' letters as well. But especially the Apostle Paul. In the beginning of all of his letters, worthy of praise is the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Worthy of praise. I mean, I could read a couple of them for you to get the ball rolling. I'm in Corinthians. I'll just read Corinthians. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God uh, and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God is in Corinth. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be holy people together with those everywhere who call on the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, their Lord and ours. So there you have, there's, there's the father in there by the will of God is the father. And I'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So I'm, and it says, uh, this is chapter 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with the holy people. There it is. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll go to Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, sent from, uh, not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now just remember, as we read this, how do these prophets speak these words? These words are what we call God-breathed. 
It is the Spirit of God who breathes into these prophets God's perfect will. And what they exhale is what we are reading here in their own style, personality, uh, the way of writing. It is the way they have interpreted God's word. This is what we call God breathed. This is how we get revelation. And God the Holy Spirit is lifting up in almost every New Testament book, not only the Lord Jesus Christ, but God the Father. Both of them receive glory. I just want to pause for just a second. 